Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm still Amber. And I'm so glad for that because I love me some Amber. <laughs> Thank you. And we are wrapping up. I know you've been anticipating. You've thought about it all week. I'm sure. I'm sure nothing else has been going on in your life. So you've been thinking about how this case is going to finish I off. I have thought about her several times. Actually, I, she sticks with you she like does. some bad indigestion. I feel like we're back to Shelly. Sure you. She has some of those... Girl, manipulative. you're not far off, Ugh. for sure. She doesn't murder anybody, but you're not far off. Well, if you tell me they're friends in some way, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> they're probably pen pals. <laughs> but anyway, all right, so we're wrapping up our theme of Because of You this week. And if you did not listen to Sunday's episode, you just got to go back and do it, guys, because today's not going to make a whole lot of sense, and you would really be doing yourself a disservice to listen to this one without listening to Sunday's episode. Yeah, don't start there's, all. And Turn back so now. much. Turn back. Stop. Pause us. Pause us now, right here. In, and go back. While you're taking a poop on the toilet, because we know that's what, I, we see you. Wipe and yep. go back to the go, next Go back episode. to. Or then, the previous. Then maybe sanitize your phone. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Sanitize, wash, hands. Do all the things. But listen to listen to Sunday's episode. And we're going to kick off right now where we left off. We left off with the children have been removed from Sandra. David still does not have custody of them. We're now at a point where there's been so much parental alienation done by Sandra that it just is not therapeutically in the children's best interest to just put them back in David's home. Mm -hmm. They have been well over a year now without seeing their father, having very much contact um, at all. And I'm sure there's some emotional distress for them, even though they've been brainwashed, but associated with that relationship with dad now after so long of that happening with their mom and the fears and paranoia that mom pushed onto all five of the rocky children about their father um, I do think that the court made the right decision this is not a typical uh, this is not a foster care case even though the children are in relative placement at this point in time this was a custody divorce case so again go back to Sunday's episode to find out more about that but that's where we're at we have Four of the children with um, David's sister-in-law, Sandra's sister, Nancy Olson, and we have the oldest son, Nico, with Tammy Love, who is David, the father's sister. Sister, yes. Okay. Now, at this point in time, Sandra has been removed from her house so that the children can all live in their home. Right now, it's only Tammy Love, and she moved into the home, and Nico, but she is she's displaced in... That actually is not uncommon. It is to help keep the children mm-hmm. in their home where they are fe- feel the most safe and secure. The home is in disarray. It has to be fixed up by David. And at this time, everyone is focusing on, focusing on the state of the children, okay? It is now discovered that they were living in horrible conditions. It was discovered what is going on with their mom. Did anybody know the conditions up until that point? No, the GAL did make note she went to the home July of 2011 
So that was not many months. That was only, this all went down in May of 2011. So the home, she made note of the home not being in great condition, but it was not nearly in the state that it was in by the time they, a year a year and some odd months, because it was September 2012, that the children gotcha. get removed from Sandra's care. So it had went downhill the entire time. She never did any cleaning. She was drinking very heavily, having parties, not caring for the kids, and the GAL was meeting with the kids at school to be away from, so that she could interview them away from Sandra, which also is not uncommon as well. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until they actually removed the children from her care and went into the home that they discovered just how bad it was. So right now, everyone except for Sandra is focusing on the children. David is still following the court order as he always has. Sandra is still not as she always has, as you know, as she always has not, I guess is <laughs> how I want to say that. But what she was doing was she was busy building a case of her own lies and whatnot. She really loved to take to social media, she, the regular media, um, just living in her own reality that she and the children were severely battered and abused and she's penniless. Just so you all know, she's got at least $2.3 million in trust that she's been moving around to all different kinds of accounts. That was discovered during one of the trials. And so what she does is she started associating herself with what I would call extremists who also felt that they were victims of the family court system. Oh, okay. Okay, so we've got... So they're going to they're gonna eat her story up with a spoon. Absolutely, because it, that's, in their opinion, their reality as well. Um, you and I have worked in the court system for many, many years, and we know that in a situation where a parent isn't given custody or a child is removed by the state, there are some significant concerns there. But the parent that that happens to is quite often in denial, mm-hmm. quite often likes to project blame off from themselves and it's always somebody else's fault it's never theirs Mm doesn't and it doesn't matter if the situation was drugs alcohol domestic violence just economical neglect or neglect in general it's always someone else's Mm -hmm. fault not theirs I will say that that's why it was so rewarding to see the flip side of that sometimes when people would realize what they had been doing yes. and it was like yes. yes you have hope yeah and they we would will like be able to reunify mm-hmm. these this family because you recognize it yeah, right they're away like, i was doing this i made these choices yes. but you don't you don't see that you know it's all the time often. Mm-hmm. and yeah but you're so, so you right. gravitate to those people that are going to fuel that like yeah they're that the system's it's the cor- broken it's the yeah, core system it's, yes mm-hmm. yep and that, so that's what she does. And in December, December 29th, 2012, Sandra reached out to a lawyer that had a reputation for making himself um, pretty much a spectacle of drama all the time. And, and it was all done in the name of Minnesota family court reform. He violated court orders himself by not disclosing his client's whereabouts when a parent was hiding kids from another parent. And he spent 54 days in jail because of it. His license was revoked and never reinstated in the state of Minnesota, but he kept practicing his own law through other outlets. Don't, and don't act like she didn't know all this. Oh, she absolutely She's did. like, this is the guy for, for me. For sure. sure. For sure. He's shady. Def- got unethical. A, got a defiance personality disorder. Yeah. Absolutely. Hired. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was well known for pulling strings, strings behind the scenes that did nothing but complicate family court cases. 
He loves to create chaos. Does he sound like a tornado like Sandra? Absolutely. This is a match made in hell. Mm -hmm. Uh, By Satan himself. (laughs) Yes. For sure. Before we get too much farther in this podcast, I do want to do as I did for the the first podcast. Remember, all of our sources are in the show notes, which is the description of this episode. But my uh, major source and really like I'm doing a book report on this book and you guys go get it and read it. It's called The Girls Are Gone by Allison Mann and uh, Michael Bradcorp. And we hope to have them on the podcast at some point in time to talk about their book. It's won awards, rightfully so. It's an amazing read. They include, I mean, it's based completely on the court case. Allison Mann was a paralegal for Lisa Elliott, who is David's lawyer in this case. And Michael Bradcorp, we will hear about today. He is one of the journalists that really, really helps solve this case. Of course, Sandra gives her own fake version, version of events that, hey, my husband claimed that he was tricked into a divorce. And by the way, he was tricked into a divorce. Listen to Sunday's episode. Horribly tricked. Yes. He was abusive, blah, blah, blah. So he starts, this man starts providing her legal advice. And he puts her, This his name is Dale. So what Dale does is he puts Sandra into contact with a woman named Michelle McDonald. And if you just there. if you just had a chill go down your spine straight through your anus, mm. it is rightfully you know, so. That sums up about what I was feeling. I know. I can see you puckering <laughs> over there. So <laughs> I, I just I felt your vi- your vibes of something like something. She's yeah. not a good person, right? Oh no, horrible person. Yes, okay. yes. You you're not inviting her to Christmas. Mm, okay. okay, noted. I'm gonna let you know right off the bat right now. Michelle McDonald, after this case, and after Allison and Michael's amazing book, uh, no longer has a license to practice law in the state of Minnesota. She did try to run for the Minnesota Supreme Court just in 2020. She has tried to run several times and has always lost, thank goodness. Uh, she was declared unfit for office because because of the girls are gone and her antics that put her in the spotlight and called attention to just how unfit she is to practice law. Wow. She even had the audacity to think that she could replace RGB. Um, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. And once you hear what she did, you are going to just... <laughs> Literally. I don't know if I can do it that fast. I'm a little more sloth-like, so I'll be like... <laughs> Yours will be a little deeper while I'm over here giggling like a schoolgirl. Yours will be a little deeper. But yeah, just keep that in mind that she thought she could replace RGB. Uh, I'm sorry, no. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Honey, you, you, no. And you haven't even heard what she did. So you just know yeah, she's oh, yeah. been disbarred. Okay, I'm going to so, mentally noting there's a good story coming up. Oh, they're so good. So Michelle was looking to make a mark in Minnesota. Okay, she had a platform of family court issues that she wanted to use for her own campaign interests. So right away, she sees Sandra and is like gobbling her up like I would some milk duds. She is on it. Like, yep, this is this is perfect. She was really just using Sandra's case to propel herself forward. I was just going to say, it sounds like she saw an opportunity mm-hmm. to maybe mm-hmm. put herself up there in the spotlight. Yes. She uh, she even wrote a book about this case. She called Judge Newtson. Do you remember Judge Judge I Newtson do. is the one that is going is handling the family court case. I mean, he sounded by all he sounded pretty reasonable to he me. Is. He is. He's absolutely. I mean, he was dealing with a hot mess. Mm-hmm. 
And I feel like and handled it professionally. And yes. he continues to from this this point forward as well. But she continues to try to push her limits with him and make waves about him. Um, she called his orders abusive. Um, now keep in mind, even in and she wrote that even in her own book. But keep in mind that Sandra was in contempt of the court order right from the beginning. She has never followed Judge Newton's orders. No, at all. So she has been in contempt for well over a year. We're pushing a year and a half at this point in time. And she's still not doing any jail time for for that. I mean, in our county, that would happen pretty quickly when parents are in contempt. Um, But every place is a little bit different. And not to mention the state that the children were living in. Okay, so this is... Sorry to cut you off, but I just... I keep having these little bursts of, like, remembering that they... We went from a family that did well, had mm-hmm. everything you would want. Mm-hmm. This this shows you the the power of mental health issues again. Absolutely, uh, things were normal; they were going fine, and all of a sudden, like look at all that she created. Yes, and now it's getting her yep. into trouble. And, now it's you know, fighting her in the literal tuchus. It's amazing to me. Yes, but it's not her fault. She yeah. started all this by tricking her husband, having her husband signed, signed papers. Mm-hmm. If you guys remember from the first episode, he signed two papers. And literally a month later, police are showing up at his house, kicking him out of his house because he was divorced. He didn't know he was signing divorce papers. She literally created this web. Yes. And now and it's a yep. tornado. And now she's the victim. We're talking like F5 tornado yes. on Twister. Absolutely. The one that almost sucked up. Bill Paxton and, we're not, and Helen no, Hunt. Don't you dare go after Bill Paxton. No. May you love rest me in some peace. Bill. We love you. I know. <laughs> I know. So Michelle's mission was actually that she wanted to abolish family court. And just think about the ramifications of that for a moment. Again. <laughs> okay. Because. <laughs> right, thank you. Come with it. And she really did not give a crap what she did to families in the process. Mm-hmm. Michelle's first hearing appearance for Sandra was February 26th, 2013, and she literally walked in guns a-blazing, demanding to know who everyone is in the room, immediately telling the judge that she wanted the current court order demolished and f- for the family and to have Sandra be re- reinstated as the children's caregiver. She claimed that the order was unconstitutional and the judge was literally like, um, excuse me. Who are you in this courtroom? Uh, what What now? Like, she literally just walks in and starts questioning people about why, like, you can picture the type, I right? I can't roll my eyes back far enough I know. physically right now. Listeners heard it. Everyone who's cleaning their house right now, driving in their car, driving. they heard you in your eye roll. He is trying to reunify this family, okay? And he's like, listen, our goal here is still reunification. Like we are trying to come up with a custody order that is fair for both parents. But the fact of the matter is, you don't need to come at me so angry. And at this this whole hearing does mm-hmm. not need to be angry. Mm-hmm. Because what we're doing here is not unconstitutional. She has been deemed unfit to care for these children. More, more than that, quite frankly. Still hasn't followed any of his orders. Like, slow your roll, lady. Slow your roll. So she goes on and on repeating herself, 
talking in that word salad that we discussed before. Okay. Oh, we have two word salad people. Yes, where she's really trying to confuse the whole conversation to deflect the attention Uh off from herself. And she's seriously just making a fool of herself because she has been extremely misinformed by her client in the first place. Now think about it. Sandra is her client. Sandra is coming to her with her, woe is me. Uh I am this abused, battered, penniless, homeless used to be pageant goddess woman that's now living in squalor and was kicked out of her home and had her babies ripped from her arms. And I feel like the attorney is selfishly like, "Mm, publicity? Yeah, absolutely. Because you can't tell me that Michelle McDonald is so dumb in all of her history as a lawyer that she couldn't see, that she doesn't understand that a judge does not do those things and remove a child from their mother without some reason. reason. So much reason. Yes. People, I don't, I don't know that people understand like it takes a lot exactly. to get to that point. And honestly, I don't blame them for their ignorance because until you work in the court system, until you're a caseworker oh, in sure. it, a professional in it, until you have seen it firsthand that way, you don't understand. And don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting over here saying the system is flawless. Oh, for sure. I'm sitting on a couple cases for you mm-hmm. in the future where it is very flawed. Yeah. So I'm not saying that, but I, what I am saying is it takes a lot well, and, to, for and, you to get to that point. And keep in mind, this isn't a case that came to the court through CPS, through yeah. the state saying that they were unfit, which is most this people's all built experience. Up. This was through a divorce custody hearing. That she created, and this Correct. all kind of showed through and over time. That, and it could have been avoided. I mean, yeah. really. So, so no, this is a totally different situation. And she was insulting the judge. She was insulting Lisa Elliott, David's lawyer, all the professionals on the case, and acting like she knew everything, when in reality, she clearly didn't read any of the file, mm-hmm. like at all. I like this judge, though. And he, he pointed that out. Like, he was putting a stop to her nonsense and pointing out, you're really not familiar with this case if this is what you're coming at me with. Now, Lisa, David's attorney, appropriately refuted all of her inaccurate arguments to set it straight. Because this is a review hearing, okay? So they, they have to go back and forth, essentially. And literally, Lisa Elliott is like, um, Michelle McDonald has not read the records. She does not what's going know what's going on in this case. So we need to move forward. She, the allegations that she made in open court were not only inaccurate, but they weren't based on any sort of reality. It sounds like she made a fool of herself with her extravagant, boisterous, loud show. But hold on to that because that is what fuels her. That's her style and that's her MO and we'll get to it. So that's part of her, her salad too, Mm -hmm. probably deflecting from- And when I get to the the moment, you're going to go, aha, because you're so right, what you just said. The review hearing, which, by the way, review hearings do not usually take too terribly long in court. They're usually about 45 minutes to an hour. It just depends on the case. But this one went for most of the day, thanks to McDonald. And she kept interrupting the judge, which... I have watched exactly mm. one person oh. try to interrupt a judge in our county, and it did not go no. well for him. No. So the fact that Judge Knudsen was not throwing her out of his court for doing that says that he has the patience of a saint. All she was saying continuously is that the children should be given back to their mother. 
the children should be, this is unconstitutional. These court orders are unconstitutional. Their mother, who was neglecting them, having a psychological episode, and actively alienating the children from their father, making them fear him. And the judge was like, yeah, ma'am, you seriously have no idea what you're talking about. So for the sake of time, I'm going to tell you that one of the things that happened in this hearing is that Nancy Olson, remember she's got the four youngest Mm -hmm. rookie children, said that she could no longer care for them. She requested for there to be a plan for over the course of a few weeks to help the children adjust and return to their home with Tammy Love and that she would, and that Tammy Love would have have temporary custody of all five of the children, the Rucky children. And they also requested that custody be given to David, not for them to live with him until the deprogramming therapy had happened, of course. But legally, he was the stable parent and should have parental custody because Sandra had failed to follow any of the court orders at this point. Literally, the only thing that McDonald did, Michelle McDonald did in court was was continuing with the, this is unconstitutional. She did nothing to help Sandra at all. I mean, really, this is where Sandra never had any hope because she aligned herself with this woman. There was a lot of convolution over Sandra, t- <laughs> Sandra trying to state that she had her psychological evaluation done, so they're like, really, where's the report? Well, no, she didn't have it done, so that's why there's not a report. Well, okay, well which you, one is but it? But you just said she <laughs> did. Right. There's a lot of that flipping back and forth, and then they're like, well, it's done, but, you know, we have it for our records, which then Lisa Elliott's like, excuse me, this is a review hearing, and I don't have it. The judge doesn't have it. So then they're like, oh, yeah, nope, it wasn't done. Like, you really think that Lisa Elliott is not going to say you have a record in front of you that was not submitted to the court? Because, I mean, in Michigan, you have to submit them two weeks before the hearing. Mm -hmm. So she's like, sorry, but where is it? Like, what? They did excuse after excuse. If you read the book, The Girls Are Gone, you're going to hear all about different ways that she was trying to avoid submitting her tax records as well there's a whole financial aspect to this case that i can't even get into because we just don't have enough time in our lives i remember you saying it was an absolute disaster Mm -hmm. with everything she did financially yes they also needed sandra to sign a passport nico was going to have a um school trip to i believe that it was italy don't quote me on that it's in my notes somewhere but anyway to go out of the country power and control struggle she was not going to sign it. And the judge is like, there is no reason, like, stop trying. And, of course, Nico and the other kids, they're not in the courtroom. They do not see what Sandra is doing. Mm-hmm. They do not know that Sandra is the one that is putting the stop to Nico going on this trip. Of course, she tells them it's her their dad, but it's not. It's her. She won't sign the papers. The judge had to court order her, too. Wow. And she still ends up not doing it and so the school writes Tammy Love and is like you're their legal guardian right now so you can can sign sign. Mm -hmm. you know what that makes me so happy to see that these these people were advocating for this child to go on his trip like this is a good thing for him he needs to go and they that makes me so happy to hear that they kind of teamed up and were like no he needs to do this and they despite her refusing, like, right. made it happen. Right, right, yep. Good. Well, good. But what is, um, what's sad is that the children were actually in another room writing statements about their father and why they don't want to live with him because he does not care about them and that he was mean and abusive. The same old manipulation, 
everything because they don't they at this point in time they haven't lived with him they don't know that their mom has been lying to them that whole time they're with Tammy Love and Nancy Olson but that brainwashing takes hold and they did have a couple of visits with their mom she eventually stops coming to visits I'm sure that's no surprise but they had some supervised visits with her in and out, but they didn't, they weren't going like real well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what? She's, I, she, I can't imagine. She's having a psychological episode. Um, but anyway, so basically this court day, they could not make a decision about custody. They never can because no. it's such a mess. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, I feel like they know what they, I feel like they know what she's doing. Mm-hmm. But because the children are so brainwashed and they are verbally and formally writing these statements, yep. I mean, to they make know, them go back and, with and him. And the thing is, is that professionals are working with David, too. So they can see that the statements the children are making about him are not accurate. So they understand what's going on. But therapeutically, you can't just throw the kids like, well, back he, with sorry, David. Kid. Yeah, I get it. And right. it's, this is so it's so hard. Yeah, It absolutely is. And so I also want to point this out, too. David was granted access to the children's home when Tammy Love moved into it because it was in such a state of disrepair that she needed help. So literally, David has been going into his ex-wife's home to fix it up and make it appropriate for kids, his kids, after she trashed their family home. Okay, so, like, you can't convince me that this man did not have his kids' best interests at heart at all times. Mm -hmm. Um. And this whole time, you know, she just keeps carrying on with, um, she should have been spending this time away from her kids, following the order, doing counseling, getting the psychological eval and the substance abuse evaluation, all of that, the co-parenting counseling, everything to get her kids back. But instead, she was spending her time and energy fighting the system and aligning herself with people like Michelle McDonald, people that want to fight the family court system. And she made friends with a woman named Dee Dee Evavold. She will come up more. She had her children removed as well. Um, and they just start fueling each other's fires. All these people that she's surrounding herself with, they all are helping her with her online um, propaganda and slandering, all of that. So in March 2013 was the first time that she went to the media and basically tried to make allegations publicly against Judge Knudsen and her case. This gave her courage and other people came forward who felt that they had been wronged by the system and they started picketing and sitting in at hearings, causing issues. Literally, she's not working on getting her kids back at all. She's going to other people's court hearings to protest and be supporters of them. Other people who have felt that they have had been unjustly treated by the family court system going to picketing things like all of that instead of going to visits with her kids and counseling and working you know because she's still claiming she's homeless and penniless right right so instead of doing all those things this is what she's doing so she became a part of an extremist group and she now is no longer participating in any part of the order visits or otherwise She started filing all kinds of petitions with the court, including one of habeas corpus, which the judge denied for her own case. She was like constantly filing motions and trying to sue people. I love that she's not even making effort to see her children, but she's still like fighting Mm -hmm. the court. It's like, yep, yep. So what do you want? Yeah. Well, it's just like in in the first episode, how she went to the the doctor was going to evaluate the children for parental alienation. And she said, I'm prepared to give David full custody of the kids because I can't take care of them. But by the way, 
two of the girls said he sexually abused them. Like, wait a second, what? Mm-hmm. So you want them to be with him? What? You really believe that? But she wouldn't let the kids be evaluated for it, and it is not true, just so you all know, if you're just jumping in in this episode, it is not true. None of that was substantiated on at all and has since been the girls. I mean, the family has come forward in this book. Read it. The girls are gone. Um, you will hear from them, from the kids directly at the end, and it's amazing. There were many a social media blogs and posts that were all making allegations against every single professional that came into contact with the children and that were supposed to have been wrote by the children. They weren't. They were wrote by Sandra and her supporters. I love that she found, please no sarcasm, mm-hmm. um, that she found a group of people that would help her do these things. Mm-hmm. Like, let's write letters pretending to be the children. Yeah. And they just, the other adults... These are like, kids. These like, are adults. Okay. Other adults that are willing to do this. On April 23rd, 2013, this is when supposed letters to the judge from the two oldest rookie girls, so that's Samantha and Gianna, posted to this blog. It was full of claims about how the GAL Julie was treating them, calling them fat, asking if they were pregnant. They were saying how appalled at the court and the counselors have treated them and blah, blah, blah. So, of course, Julie... <sighs> excuses herself as the GAL after all of this. So she got what she wanted. Of course. But of course the court's going to give another GAL. Right. Like, fine. If it's not Julie, it's going to be someone else. So stop acting like you can make allegations against every professional that comes into contact with these kids and think that it's going to go nowhere. Mm -hmm. Like, stop. everyone. You're making issue with the judge. You're making issue with... David's lawyer with the GAL. Do you see the problem here? Mm -hmm. You're finding issue with every single person that has authority. I wish that Julie would not have excused herself. I get it from her standpoint that it wasn't worth it. There was more to in the book as to why she did. Um, I do believe that she online, there were posted actual threats to her physical well-being. Okay. um, Which was done to David numerous times. David ended up having his um, vehicle two of his vehicles vandalized and it ended up being Sandra's boyfriend's mm-hmm. son that did it. And he ended wow. up getting convicted for it. This is like when a, a borderline comes a rolling in and I, I, I want a new therapist. I want yep. this. I want this. You're not fitting my narrative. You're not fitting, you know, feeding into my, yes, get, getting this attention and I, I need to replace you. Yes. It's and we, exactly we like do not that. have a diagnosis. No, I'm her. not trying to claim a diagnosis. I'm I just saying that. that. But I wanted to point out for the listeners that although there is not a clear diagnosis stated, the the doctor that was evaluating the children for parental alienation pointed out we are looking at a personality disorder and a mood disorder for sure. Yeah, I remember you saying that. You know, had she gotten her evaluations, we would have had a diagnosis, but she wasn't cooperating enough to even get that. So you're 100% correct. to me, as I was reading it, I was very much feeling the same way about mm-hmm. borderline personality. It just reminds me, like, on smaller scales of things that I've seen mm-hmm. happen and how difficult it is because, you are you know, you shouldn't feed into those demands, but 
They right. have rights. It, and they right. have rights to, you know, ask for a new person. And yep. But it just keeps feeding into what it they're does. doing. It does. And, and delaying the whole process. And, yes. and that's what they really wanted to do this whole mm-hmm. time. They it, were loving. Michelle McDonald was loving trying to delay everything, file all kinds of motions, do all of this, because it did nothing but give her more publicity with raise issues with her platform of issues with family court. So wow. these two, they're so similar, it sounds like, the her attorney. Yes. They're both, like... I've really liked this quote from The Girls Are Gone. It said, quote, It was clear, regardless of the truth, Sandra and her supporters were going to twist statements and information to suit their needs, end quote. And that's 100% accurate right there. Now, on April 19th, 2013, an order came out that was from the February 26th hearing. It was 27 pages long. Judge Knudsen did a great job debunking every false allegation made by Michelle McDonald's and McDonald and Sandra during the court in the order. Oh my gosh, he was probably up for days. Oh, I know. I'm looking sure at this. this man did not get paid enough. The biggest part of the order is that he granted David's petition to have the four children removed from Nancy Olson's care as she requested and placed with Tammy Love. And it needed to be acted on immediately because at this point in time, you know, that hearing was February 26th and it's now April 19th. So she had, had wanted that quite a, a bit ago. The children's therapist, Dr. Gil, Gilbertson, was on a call available to help with the transition for the children into Tammy's care. So on Friday, April 19th, 2013, after the order came out, everything was set in place. Nancy Olson's daughter grabbed Samantha and Gianna, the two oldest rookie children, from school, which is not unusual. They went to a grocery store and then stopped at the sheriff's department, which was also not really unusual with as much as they have been interviewed and questioned and Mm -hmm. all that stuff. So she, um, Nancy's daughter said, hey, you need to go into the sheriff's office and talk with my mom. She's in there waiting for you. So Samantha and Gianna went into a conference room where there were three officers Nancy and Tammy, and on the phone, there was a speakerphone in the middle of the table, was Dr. Gilbertson. The girls did not like Dr. Gilbertson. Now, remember, they've been conditioned by their mother to not like any professional, to be scared of them, to believe that they are there simply to make sure that they never see her again. And, I mean, they just, they're very, very distrusting of the system at this point in time, and rightfully so. Mm -hmm. I get it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So they were given the news that they were going to be living with Tammy. They called the home that they lived in uh, the Ireland Place home. I don't know if that's the name of the street or what, but that's just how they differentiated it because David and Sandra had owned multiple homes, Mm -hmm. you know, before the divorce. So um, they were going to go live there. And then after a few days, the two youngest children would be joining them. Nico, remember, has always been there with Tammy. Yes. So since they were removed from their mom's care. Um, They got into Tammy's car with her. And they were they were crying because you know it's another change. They didn't want this. I was thinking These that when you girls. told me that, I was like, oh my gosh, another transition for them. Yes, they went from a fam a, a a nuclear family to their dad not seeing them and their mom really falling off the rails. To now you're going to be placed with Tammy. Yeah. We don't want to live with Tammy. Okay, so you'll be placed with Nancy. Now, sorry, you can't be with Nancy. You're going to go back with Tammy. That's so that's so sad for them. Mm-hmm. So the officers escorted them into the house, helped them upstairs, and gave. And one of the officers gave them their card if they needed. Gianna went to the basement with Tammy to help her carry boxes with the girls' stuff. 
because all their stuff had been packed away by their mom the day before she was they were officially removed from her. And Tammy heard the shower upstairs, so she figured Samantha wanted to take a shower before she had unpacked her stuff. All right, so she's in the basement. And Gianna had grabbed a box, went ahead of Tammy. Tammy was still gathering some stuff in the basement. And when she was still in the basement collecting things, she heard what she thought sounded like a ringtone, like of a phone. And she's like, well, of course the girls have phones. They're teenage girls, Mm -hmm. right? Of course they do. Well, as she got onto the main level of the home, she heard nothing. No shower, no footsteps, nothing. So she's like, girls? Nothing. She called. Then she's like, Samantha, Gianna? Nothing. So she realizes their shoes are still there. Their backpacks from school are still by the door. But she goes upstairs and they are not there. Oh, no. What happened? They ran. Oh. So she calls David and said, David, the girls are gone. And that's where the, I'm sure where the title of the Mm -hmm. book came from. They're just gone. Just out of the blue. There is snow on the ground. It's Minnesota. So, and it's April 19th. Like, we could have snow on the ground here in Michigan. Oh, yeah, on April you never 19th. know. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Which t- 2020 actually did a, a series on them. I can't remember, or excuse me, an episode on them before everything is completely resolved, and they called it Footprints in the Snow. Oh, really? Yeah. They file a runaway report on the girls. There was no Amber Alert because it did not meet the requirements for it. They weren't at the time considered to be in any danger, and it was a be- it was believed that they would turn up. On April 22nd, so three days after their disappearance, Tammy got an envelope with court documents signed by Sandra and letters written by the girls, and it was obvious that the three of them were together. I would so, as soon as I saw it was something from her, I would just... Oh, my gosh. Yep. I would just seriously want to torch it. Yep. And the letter was carrying on. Same old stuff. Yeah. How it's exhausting. Yeah. Yep. It's Same like, yep, stuff. We get yep. it. We yep. get it, yep. Sandy. Correct. Now, this is going to boil your blood, so trigger warning. <laughs> Thank you. Not long after their disappearance, David got a knock on his door from a reporter, Trish Van Pelsom. She was a local Fox uh, television anchor. She was well-known in Minnesota said she wanted to do an interview with David about parental alienation. These are the words that he used. So he's like, yeah, you can interview me. I want my girl's disappearance to be known because the more people that know, the more that can be on the lookout for them. You know, I mean, at this point in time, they're not thinking they're abducted. They're, they know they're, that she's with Sandra, mm-hmm. right? So he agrees. They start the questioning right there in her living room. He told her his whole story, the truth of whatever, everything that's going on, that the children were being brainwashed, he was being alienated, he was tricked into the divorce, everything. Well, here's where it gets real nuts. Um, poor David did not see this coming. Trish Van Pelsom was walking out his door, turned around and tells him that she interviewed his girls just recently. Like, they've only been gone for, I think, it, it's not real clear, but it's, it's not long. It's like a week after they had been gone. And this woman is standing there saying, I saw your girls right after they disappeared. Would not tell him anything. Would not tell him where his daughters were, where she interviewed them, what kind of state they were in, how they were, nothing. Oh, my god! What kind of evil succubus comes from the earth and does that to a parent. 
That is horrible. Was yeah. she believing that he was, you know, a horrible monster like he was portrayed? This or was woman she just being is one horrible? of those journalists. She's trying to sell her story. She has no professional integrity whatsoever. Uh, I hate those kinds where they don't really care about people. They just want to get their story out there. Which is all the more why you're going to love Michael Bradcorp, who is a journalist as well, by the end of this. So she drops that bomb, refused to cooperate with, with David, and left. Of course, he was furious. He informs Lisa Elliott. And Elliott was actually, Lisa was contacted by Trish as well to be interviewed. And she's like, yeah, let's do this because I'm going to ask you questions and try to get some information. What she got from her was that she had interviewed them in two separate locations, two weeks apart from each other, but would not say where, any names, anything, and said that they're safe and in southern Minnesota. And she's like, I'm sorry, safe? They haven't been to school. They're not with any of their family. They've had no contact with their family. Where do you get off saying that they're safe? Yeah, how do you know that they're safe? Yep. All she cared about was her story, and um, they did watch the story. And when it aired, it was horrid. There were video. There was video of Samantha and Gianna, and Gianna in tears, looking terrified, claiming horrible abuse from their father, who they had not seen for almost two years now. And not once in the story was it mentioned that these girls were missing. She's doing a story about family court and alienation. She's got two missing girls. And not once in that story does she tell the world that there is a parent, there is law enforcement, there is lawyers, everybody desperately looking for them. It's what not a mentioned horrible person. Once. Just seriously horrible Correct. person. Yes. So the, her whole intention was to to interview him and make him look really bad. Correct. Oh my gosh. Correct. So he sat there helpless and watched, recognizing the look of fear on his children's faces. I can't tell you how just so, just so I'm so sad for this man. He did nothing. That had to have felt like watching a ransom note of like, your child or ransom video of your child. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where you're like David knows why his daughters are saying that, right? Yeah, but he what gets it. he is worried about is like I can recognize that they're scared. They are crying. I don't know where they are. What happened to them after this was recorded? Who has them? She must have answers, and she's not talking to the police. She knows these girls are missing. She's not talking to the police, anything. I'll give you another quote from The Girls Are Gone. Quote, for the next 917 days, Trish Van Pelsum would be considered the last person to see the Rucky girls alive. And for every single one of those days, she kept her secret, end quote. I just want the world, I know it's written in their book, but now it's in the podcast world, that for 917 days, this Trish Van Pelsum knew where a father's children were and would not tell anyone. And I would like to think that she believed the the story and wanted you know maybe to bring light to him but i don't think that she gave a shit i know it was I all for her story it was it was for her i story. don't think she gave a shit what was true and what was not she just it was a juicy story to air and it made him sound like a pile of crap he she could get his She's, interview she, and sound, she had her she found her opportunity to try I'm to bringing all this to light i'm gonna look so good may 29th 2013 lisa elliott did file a motion to find Sandra in contempt of court. 
She used the letters received and the Channel 9 news report that aired as proof that Sandra knew where her children were. In response, Sandra just denied the accusations against her. She did not specifically state that she denied seeing the girls, but she denied, you know, she's just saying, nope, I'm not with them. I don't know where they are. So in the two months after the girls were gone, before a hearing was held on June 12th, 2019, Michelle McDonald was there again doing nothing but citing the unconstitutionality of the order, not speaking one thing. It was relevant, yep, or made sense. She went on and on about how the orders were too extravagant for Sandra to possibly follow, yet David had no issues following them, I just want to point out. A new GAL was assigned because of the allegations made against Julie, like I said. But of course, she could not submit a report for this hearing because there was no cooperation from Sandra. So you have to realize, everyone, at this point, that Sandra, at the direction of her counsel and followers has purposely dragged out this court case by refusing to comply with the judge's order by helping. She did not want the children reunified in any way, including with herself at this point. (laughs) Okay, let's point that (laughs) She's like, I'm so desperate for control. I don't even want want myself to see them, okay? Yep, yep. That's how far I am going for control. Yep, I don't want... (laughs) I don't want David to have them, but since they were removed from me too, I'm not even going to have them. I demand that they do not see me mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. Sandra w- joined McDonald and another, and the DVD, DVD, the DD Evavold girl that I was telling you about. Yes, yeah. Um, They went to California. They were on YouTube rallying at this thing, this protest in California. And I can't remember if it was a court case. I think it was, I think that it was another um, court hearing for another gal who had had her kids removed, or maybe it was Dee Dee's. I can't remember the specifics now. So forgive me. Read the book. You'll hear all about it. They were literally on YouTube acting like fools. So this is what she's doing when she has two girls missing and she's claiming she doesn't know where they are and that she hasn't seen them. So if you have not seen them and you don't know where they are, you're not doing anything to find them. You are not a concerned mother. No. Mm -hmm. And and not seeing the other ones either. No, no. no. You're still out there, you know, rallying and protesting the core. And oh my gosh. Needless to say, his case has become a public nightmare. Judge Knudsen's own church he attended with his family even became a place of protest for Sandra. McDonald and her group of supporters, all people that did not know the truth, but they're preparing for a custody trial because the custody trial in that June hearing was set for September 2013. The tensions were high. Supporters of Sandra Grazzini-Rucky were clearly not stable, and there was concerns for the safety of David and his law team just getting into the court. I don't question that for a second. And... Lisa Elliott had boxes and boxes of files and logs ready for that custody trial. They And they took them to court with them. They were ready to prove that David was the parent that should have custody of these children. After David and his team were safely in the courtroom, in walks a woman named Debbie Simpson. <laughs> Poor Debbie. She's Michelle McDonald's paralegal. Oh. <laughs> oh, Debbie. Debbie. I'm sorry. Debbie, 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 Debbie. <laughs> so... I'm so sorry, Debbie. The way they described her in the book is that she looked unorganized and disheveled. She was carrying files that papers were falling out of, and she was not prepared. I feel like she... She represents, like, if this whole case was a person... Right. 
It would Here, be Debbie. Poor Debbie. That you know the woman. You know she's fantasizing about quitting every, every day. day. Debbie is sure. my spirit animal I'm in sure. jobs that I've hated. Like I feel you, Debbie. Being sent to the wolves. <laughs> yeah, she's like it's Un- just a job. I don't know what I'm Sorry. doing. Damn it! I feel so bad for her. Right. I mean, we know these kinds of people. They're emotionally exhausting. Yes. I, we know a lot of paralegals. I love, and I actually know of two specifically that listen to, so shout out. And I know your job is really, really hard. So but to work for someone like that, <laughs> you're no. pro- you are slowly dying every yes, day. Every day. That's why her files can't stay where they're supposed to because it's, no. or she's lost her soul. You know, there's a fifth in the, in the desk. <laughs> I'm just kidding. In the desk, because she's probably got a little one flask in in her her bra. (laughs) I hope that's how she survived. Allison Mann, who is the co-author of this book Mm -hmm. that we've been, I've been raving about. She is one of the paralegals on Lisa's team. And so she was like, kind of looking out of the corner of her eye. And she's like, weird. One of those papers that fell out looks like a federal lawsuit. Like, what is this woman up to? Poor, poor disorganized Debbie over right, there, right? <laughs> revealing things on accident for sure that are just falling out. So, as the trial started on September eleventh, two thousand and thirteen, the girls had been gone for a hundred and forty six days. At this point, there was a pre-trial pre-trial motion was filed about evidence from the News Nine interview to be admitted, and Lisa, of course, objected to that evidence being admitted. And the judge went to his chambers to make that decision and then returned to the courtroom for the trial to begin. Well, McDonald wanted to know if his office had received the paperwork she filed the day before. Is he prepared to move forward? Judge Newton's like, yep, I received it and we're ready to remove, to move forward. And she's like stammering. And she's like, um, uh, but uh, uh, the paperwork that was filed was a federal lawsuit that Sandra filed against Judge Newton personally. She was attempting to have him removed from the case, saying that he was biased against her. Oh, my God. I can't. She has filed several lawsuits. Again, it's all in the book. I guarantee you, every time this woman's name got brought up, (laughs) it was literally like this. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. Poor Judge Newton probably can't even hear the name Sandra without shuddering. Like, I I love, I love me some Sideshow Bob from The Simpsons. That shudder is the best. I just saw him uh, last night on TV. Yes. And shout out to Sideshow. (laughs) Sideshow Bob. Just that. (laughs) Like, that is what happened. That name has to be a trauma trigger for everybody (laughs) that was involved in this case. For sure. It's going to be for me. I know. I am so exhausted with this woman. I'm bringing you something. Now we won't be triggered by the name Shelly anymore. No, we have a new one. I've stepped it up. He made it very clear to Michelle that he is ready to move forward with this trial, this custody trial, that he's going to be impartial, and that he doesn't care that the day before she filed this, like, excuse me, but, you know, he gets his day in court for this tri- fi- for this lawsuit as well. Like, just because you filed it yesterday does not mean I'm going to recuse myself from the case today. So here we go. We know she was trying to stall. Absolutely. Oh, gosh, yes. And she was like, stamp, like, you're really not going to stop? The long and short of it is that Michelle McDonald thought for sure that this tactic would work and that they would not move forward with the custody trial. So she was 100% unprepared. Where Lisa Elliott had boxes and boxes of evidence to go over and to show that David 
has always been and will continue to be a stable, driving, appropriate parent for these children, Michelle McDonald was not. She was busy going on her platform about court case mm-hmm. or, or about family court, not preparing at all. He's like, we will not. I know you're trying to delay this. We're not going to delay any longer. You have had since June because it, 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 she gets to the point where she's like, I, I'm not prepared to move forward. He's like, sucks to be you. You've Good. had since June. We set this date. It is September. Yeah. You've had months no to excuses, prepare. sister. So sorry that you're not a real professional and you didn't know to prepare, but this isn't going to work. I see what you're doing and I won't allow it. Good for him. So he's like, he said that he had an obligation to these children and to this family to proceed. And her having a federal lawsuit against him is a matter of her opinion that he can't be impartial and he won't delay any, any longer. And McDonald literally comes back with, you have an obligation to these children. Where are two of the children? And she <sighs> said it in a way that everyone knew she was accusing Judge Knudsen of knowing where the kids were and that he had something to do with their disappearance. Permission for the judge to derobe at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Robe is off. Robe is off. Someone put some gloves on that man. It's time. All he responded responded with is, call your first witness. (laughs) Like, seriously, what do you say? For sure. Like, yes. This poor judge had to have aged 20 years. And that is one of the very frequent allegations that she throws against Judge Knudsen and tries to get the public to believe that he had something to do with these girls' disappearance the whole time knowing it was her client. Okay. Yeah. It's disgusting. with these people. I can't. They're just so. Like they're they're draining my soul from my body. They're dementors from Harry Potter, and they they believe that yes. their own crap. Yes. They they absolutely mm-hmm. yeah believe it. She was like, "I don't want. I'm not going to proceed because I don't think that this is fair at all." He's like, "Yeah, okay, cool. See yourself we're, out then." Going. Like what a little bit. This isn't fair. I'm, well, I'm not going I'm to. I'm not going to call my first witness. This isn't fair. <laughs> That's what she sounded like, I'm sure. Anyway. That just sounded like the so, uh, chipmunk, like fast-forwarded chipmunk. I'm impressed. When I, when I get fired up, I get very squeaky. Very chipmunky. I do. So the judge, like, the judge is like, if you don't call your first witness or present evidence, you're going to default. So are you prepared to default? What are we going? So she's like, my first witness is Sandra Gazzini Rocky. Was he like, my God. <laughs> <Was> he- <laughs> Right. He, I would have sure. Like, That's it. I'm done. Right. I'm because done with all of you. I'm sure you know that Sandra is just going to do what she does best and sit up there and be uncooperative. I'm suing. He's abusive. Yes. It's unconstitutional. Yeah. Yes. If I was that judge, I would have been like, you know what? I excuse myself right. and I quit. Right. And this is where I retire, people. Yes. I wouldn't have blamed them at all. F you, F you, right. F you. Right. You're, You're okay. cool. <laughs> I'm out. Sorry, Debbie. You, you need to find another job. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's go make sandwiches together at Subway, yes. Debbie. <sighs> so Sandra's her first witness. Her questioning makes no sense at all. Sandra showed no emotion whatsoever as a mom who cared, who had not seen her children in months, and who supposedly did not know where two of them were. Her answers were very programmed and mechanical. They had talking points, of course. 
McDonald tried to prove that Sandra was the primary caregiver of the kids, and in their interests, it did not go well. On cross-examination, Lisa knew that Sandra would be uncooperative and difficult, so she started right in with real questions that would show Sandra was really not a caregiver and didn't have her children's best interest at heart. Um, all McDonald kept doing was objecting to everything that went nowhere because Judge Newsom's like, to what? She breathed. What are you objecting to? She walked two steps to the right. Shut your face. You know, I mean, it was oh just my God. Bless it was almost judge. that pathetic. Then Lisa asked where Gianna and Samantha were. And she, on the record, state, record stated that she did not know. She was asked what she had been Lying doing. under oath. For sure. She was asked what she had been doing to look for her missing children, and all she would respond with is that she was under court order. That's what she kept saying. So finally, Lisa is, like, exhausted, and she's like, okay, what What do you mean you're under court order? Yeah. So she's trying to say, and she literally actually says at one point in time, Sandra's like, I need to follow the 3,400 court orders that I have, so it prevents me from looking for to my kids. Again, oh my word gosh. salad, she keeps trying to say because of her extravagant court orders that David had no problem following, by the way. That she couldn't that she make couldn't, time to, to yes. even though she hadn't been following them. She had not been following them, not not any of them. And then she's carrying on trying to claim that the judge wouldn't, the judge court ordered her not to look for them because she wasn't supposed to have contact with them. Literally, she's And like, the judge is sitting no. right there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, in the meantime, when David was up there, they went through all of the things that David had been doing to look for his girls. It included a billboard. It included posters all over the the cities. I mean, all the normal things that parents do when their miss their child is missing. He was emotional. He cried. He clearly and she did none of those things. She just kept saying that she was under court order so she couldn't look for her kids. No, instead you wanted to go hang out and drink and party with your lawyer and with your buddy, Friend. your supporters and all of these things. Oh so, my gosh. The, read the in the book, it goes into detail. The transcript is printed in the book and it is like, get some popcorn and read it, you guys. I need to know that David comes out okay. Like I need to know that to go on. Like right now? Yes. Like that he's okay he today. David is okay, okay today. Poor David went all the way to the depths of the devil's perineum, which I assume the devil is both male and female, so that's why the devil has <laughs> so a perineum. Has one. Yes. Yes. And the poor guy was scraped across it before he came back, but he he's okay. He is okay. I'm so glad to hear that he, he, he went survived that the perineum. He did. And he did, he's back. He's okay now, but I just got to tell you that, and we're about to that get. had to have been a very. So bad. Hot and unpleasant mm-hmm. place to visit. It was. It was rough for sure. So needless to say, day one of the trial did not go well. They brought up the video about showing Samantha being pulled out of school um, by Sandra to go throw dad's personal bank statements and stuff all over the mall parking lot. Um, McDonald, of course, spent the day being argumentative and full of false allegations. Lisa did a great job of calling witnesses, cross-examining to show how the children had lied about David. Again, read it all in the book. It's compelling. Um, She also showed how Sandra's supporters were dangerous because there were threats made to all the professionals on the cases. The next day, the trial, of course, was not just one day. The next day... 
McDonald seemed, this is September 12th, 2013. McDonald seemed super chaotic and frantic, and she was even more unprepared than she was the day before. She immediately started, she walks into the court and started accusing the court reporter of not recording the case correctly from the day before. So like literally starting her BS right away. The judge was pulled away from the courtroom right before it started and and reappeared really annoyed. Then you see, then a deputy came in. What had happened was a deputy had, had come in and saw Michelle McDonald taking photos of the courtroom before the hearing, which is illegal. You can't do that. And he addressed it and told her that she knows, you know, like the judge, excuse me, Judge Knudsen addressed it and was like, you know that my court reporter, like you're harassing my court reporter, you need to leave her alone. Um, we're we're going to continue with the trial. So McDonald interrupted his opening statements to say that she, she wanted to put on the record her standing objection to the trial and that the children should be returned to Sandra Rookie and the home and property all reinstated to her. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he was like, we went over this yesterday. We're proceeding. She continued to interrupt him and cite the federal lawsuit that she filed against him. It was the same BS, a different day. Mm-hmm. Judge was growing weary. The trial proceeded and McDonald is like even more of a pain in the butt than she was the day before. She had not prepared to question the witness that Lisa called and did nothing but try to delay, even at one point claiming that she needed, because they actually had Julie up, the GAL, was on the witness stand. And she was like, well, I need a 2011 calendar in front of me to be able to question her appropriately. And so he's like, okay, well, you could look at her paperwork that she has in front of her. She was not happy with that. She wanted a 2011 calendar. This is before one. she was even on the case, right? Oh, my god! Because she didn't come to the case until 2013. But so he's like, you know what? We're going to take a small break. McDonald, you go and get yourself go a 2011 yourself a calendar. calendar. <laughs> yep. He's probably like, I need a break at oh, this ab- point. Absolutely. Everyone probably I did. I feel like she had absolutely nothing. Mm-mm. So she's trying to create any type of deflection that she can because she sucks at her job and she didn't have anything substantial hold that thought sister Susie because you're not gonna believe what happens next oh god (laughs) I need more wine I think so too pause the recording we gotta (laughs) refill amen so as they are they are recessing as soon as McDonald is out of the courtroom Sandra and Dee Dee Evelvold, who were there, mm-hmm. packed up all of McDonald's things, her phone, her glasses, her files, and leaves. And Allison and Lisa Elliott are like, hey, McDonald's, you know, Michelle's going to be right back. Like, we're going to continue. They didn't acknowledge them, nothing. Took all their stuff and left. Okay? Well... During during the break, a deputy approaches Michelle McDonald and was like, hey, I need to issue you a citation for taking the photos before the court hearing. So just follow me to my office real quick. I just need your name, date of birth, and your address. I will give you the citation. You'll be on your way. And, you know, you'll Mm -hmm. carry on the court. No big deal? She wouldn't do it. Not only would she not do it, but she would not get up to get back in the courtroom You've got to be kidding me. Oh, no. The deputies had to pick her up, put her ass in a wheelchair. No. And wheel her ass back into the courtroom. Oh, my gosh. She shows up after the 15-minute recess 
what the judge and David's legal team see is her being wheeled in (laughs) to the courtroom shoeless. She does not have her glasses on. (laughs) How are they not? How are they not laughing? And she was slumped over. She really didn't have any questions prepared, did she? No. Because now she's straight playing possum. Like, I don't know what to do. I'm I'm dead. I'm dead. That's all I've got left. I have no questions for this witness. So I'm just going to pretend to be nothing. Oh, my gosh. They had to pick her up. A lawyer. A lawyer that, might I remind you, ran for the Supreme Court several times between the years of, I believe, 2013, which is when this happened, and 2020, you guys. I can't. Was wheeled into the courtroom without shoes, disheveled, slumped over. Which, of course, everybody's like, is she ill? Did something happen? No, the only thing that happened is that she was under arrest, but the officer, the deputy, was kind enough to to be like, I just Just need your information. I'm going to give you a citation. And and we're good to go here, okay? Like, you can go back to your, he was not interrupting their day. At all. He mm-hmm. just needed to issue her that citation. Okay. So <laughs> so the judge is kind of like, um, <laughs> deputy, can you shed some light on the possum in the room? Like, what's going and on? And she's still just, like, slumped over. She is slumped <laughs> over. She was like, why are your shoes off, woman? Oh, Other than she was probably God. wearing some heels that were probably burning her bunions by then. She so probably she, was like, I've got to get rid of these heels. Absolutely. I can do it in a dramatic fashion. Kill yes. two birds, one stone. <laughs> I'm unprepared and my feet are killing mm-hmm. me. I can eliminate these both yeah. with playing dead. Yeah. So you know what? Is she crazy or intelligent mm. or, or genius? I don't know. There's a fine line, people. <laughs> She's crossed it. I can't handle her. So the deputy's like, well, judge, um, I told her that we needed to issue her, her a citation for taking the photos and that she was under arrest for it, but we wouldn't put her in handcuffs. We'd just take her info and and then she'd get the misdemeanor citation and be back in court. She refused and continues to refuse to provide that information. So the judge is like, okay, so she's going to remain, un- remain under the jurisdiction of the sheriff's department until she provides that information. Right, deputy? Deputy's like, that's correct. Because now we're in a, you know, a situation here. And he, but then he reiterated, for the record, all I need is her name, date of birth, and address, and I will take her camera into evidence to verify the photos on the, of, that the, of, you know, of the courtroom. And then she'll be on her way. That's all we need. And this, was he like, Michelle, I know you can hear me right, <laughs> right now. And the judge is like, okay. Can all of that wait until our proceedings for the day are done here? And deputy's like, absolutely. Sure, sure. You keep her in her wheelchair all day, <laughs> rest of the day. If she needs her shoes, I know where I they got are. Em. I can get them. Where she took them off, in my office. Weird. And <laughs> also where we had to pick her up and put her in the wheelchair. But seriously, to be Lisa Elliott in this moment, like, this is who I'm up against? Yeah. What is going on? And, of course, in the book, they're actually quite nice because they're like, we didn't know she was sick. Like, they were almost giving her the benefit of the doubt. Like, 
is she sick? Yeah. Or they're just so, they're so professional or in their book and in their printing that they didn't want to be like. They probably were like, this story's going to sh- just tell itself. We don't <laughs> need to say anything. Because it did. You're so I mean, right. You're so, so like, right. It's too easy for us to even say anything. We're just going to print this yep. as it happened. And, and we will let the world just decide that's right. for themselves. The world will read it as it's written. And the world has. understand. <laughs> So the judge's like judge is like, okay, we're gonna proceed, but Michelle McDonald, all your boxes have been removed. Do you what do you plan to do? No response. Mm, still still slumped. So she's like, Miss McDonald, how do you want to proceed? No response. Judge is like, okay, well, with no response from Michelle McDonald, because you know, he has to state for the record everything <laughs> yes. that's happening in his courtroom. And he does state that she came in, <laughs> in a wheelchair. Shoeless, glasses off. I love it. I'm picturing her hair a mess. I can't remember if it actually was or not, but I mean, it just adds. You know, perhaps that's what happened. Is there a video of this? I don't believe so, Mm. because I believe it was closed court, which is why he wasn't supposed to be taking photos. I need a video of this in my life. Gosh, the image that I'm imagining is me almost enough for me and look up, <laughs> I guess it is look up a photo of her too because What's then you're her, gonna be like uh, really, Michelle, Michelle McDonald. McDonald yeah I do need to see her so um judge is like under rule 307 of Minnesota law we're gonna proceed McDonald no response <laughs> so the court's like you have an obligation to your client to proceed Miss McDonald no response so he's like, okay, well, no response, so we're going to proceed and continue with Julie as the witness. Miss McDonald, you were in the middle of cross-examining her when we went to break. Would you like to proceed? No response. So they proceeded. Oh, my god! There was no explanation for her at the time coming in in a wheelchair. Like, it just makes you wonder, was this all planned before? I mean, they picked up. They, she left that courtroom. She left that. She was taking pictures. You cannot tell me that a lawyer who has been practicing law as long as she has did not know she couldn't take pictures. She took those pictures in front of that deputy, knew that she would be issued a citation, had told them, as soon as we recess, you pick up my documents and you leave. And then I am going to refuse to cooperate with the citation. Yeah, that's... Come on. You can't tell me this was not planned. Definitely sounds pre-planned. And so. um, I wonder if her her reasoning was like, all right, listen, we got nothing. (laughs) Exactly. So here's how it's going to go down. Don't you just feel like this is like the desperate attempt. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't prepare. Mm -hmm. I got nothing for you. So I'm going to slump over. You grab the shit. And it'll it'll work itself out. People, when your lawyer, <laughs> why are reverts, people so stupid? When your lawyer reverts to this, it's time. It's, it's time to evaluate <laughs> your life choices, absolutely, and recognize that you are not where you should be. Like, like, yeah, really look at your life. If, Please, if you get to this point. Please. So she it. just sat there, slumped over in the wheelchair. The rest refused to participate. So. Once David is called as a witness. Was she acting like she was sleeping or? No, she's just slumped over. doesn't say that. Just says she's slumped, okay. shoeless, glasses-less. Eyes open, though. No documents. Yeah. So, that's even worse. Like, are you stroked like, out? Like, what <laughs> happened? I'm, I'm picturing, like, I was originally picturing, like, a fake sleeping. But now this is even <laughs> way more awkward if she's, if she's like, coherently sit, I sit, sitting know, there. Are she moving her eyes around? Is she blinking? She's got to be blinking. <laughs> or is she just, like. Right. I, I don't Either way, know. it's so awkward. I don't know if she's fake sleeping. But 
I think that she thought this would for sure stop the trial. And Judge Knudsen knew what she was yeah. doing and wasn't buying it. Thank God. I know. So um, once David was called as a witness, though, she pipes up and she claimed that her office took all of her stuff. Oh, she came back. Yep. While she was being arrested, she's like, I don't have my phone. I don't have my glasses. They were taken. And once again, the deputy made it clear that she was not going to be detained. She was just going to be issued the citation and released. So he's like, listen, I don't know why her office packed up all of her stuff because I this was not the plan. I was not arresting her and putting her in a cell. She knows. Judge is like, you're not helpless. You can you can put your shoes and glasses back on and call your office to get your things back, and I will give you time to do that. But all of this is because of actions of your own. Yeah. Thank you, Judge. Absolutely. Good for him because yes, I don't think all judges would have been like that. I and I, so yes. I I mean, can we get a golf clap oh, for Judge Newton? I want to stand up even. Yes, for him. me too, and bow a little bit. Because seriously, if you don't see through, and sometimes people don't, mm-hmm. you create this big smoke screen, mm-hmm. and some people buy into it. Amen. And mm-hmm. you know, you create this big show. It is a distraction. Yep. And those that can't see through it, it. They, they drink the Kool-Aid, so to say. And yep. Deflection. Good for this I man. I know. Love it. Lisa questioned David on the stand in a way to get his story out in the open and on the record. She did a great job of it, including all the ways that he had complied with the court order and worked to have his children in his care. During cross-examination, now this is her moment to prove that, that David's not a good father, right? No. The questions were brief and all about ownership of the home and the children and who the children were currently like living with. No question about how he is as a parent. She had no other plan for him and he was excused as a witness. And yes, then they excuse they then they recessed for lunch and she had to be wheeled back in. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I full on snorted. Very appropriate. <laughs> So, oh my gosh. So she's mm-hmm. still going wheelchair. Correct. <laughs> I would just picture her wheeling up to David to cross-examine him and probably like, oh my God, I had no idea wheelchairs were so difficult. I I just want to picture like they're still wheeling her around. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> de- she's probably looking at the deputy like, get an assist. Can I have an assist here? Come on, this man. This is so... How did she think this was going to go? Or did she think know. it would really get delayed with her she, antics? Oh, 100%. Like, I'm not preparing gonna, for this. I'm no. going to delay it. Yep. We'll I know how to this handle out. this. Absolutely. Narcissist 101. Well, you were wrong. So um, the last <laughs> witness was the current GAL. This is my favorite trial I've ever heard I know. Of. I know. I this is it. better than Manson. This is, oh. I mean... It is so the much best. happened in Manson's trial, but oh yeah. This is the best I've ever heard. When and the defense attorney comes <laughs> in a wheelchair with her shoes and glasses off as a last Hail Mary. Because she has nothing. Nothing. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. You know that court staff had to have had a good laugh oh, after at the end of the day. We've worked in the court, honey. We know <laughs> this, the the after hours conversation. We know that there's there's coping skill. You need to have coping Absolutely. skills when you do yes. that job. So the last witness was the current GAL, and she recommended on record all five children be reinstated with their father, and that David Rucky have full custody. 
the trial was over and it went well for Lisa and David and not well for Sandra. What? I don't believe it for a second. Michelle McDonald went to jail for the night over not giving her info. I am not even kidding you. She went by three variations of her name and would not like collaborate which one was accurate. And then later she filed a lawsuit over the deputies and the county that she was denied, excuse me, that was later denied over this whole situation about her night in jail. She, she she would hold on. She wouldn't even stand for her mugshot, so it was taken in the wheelchair. Oh my god! <laughs> I love it. She so she's still in the wheelchair. Yes, going to the jail later that day. Yes. Oh my gosh! I applaud. Her creativity of like, you know what? I'm just real tired of working for the day. I'm not that even going to walk. commitment. <laughs> she committed to the, like seeing this out. She refused to provide any basic info during her booking. Then She literally could not take responsibility no. for being unprepared no. for this in any way. You're, this gets even better. She was a royal pain the whole time complaining of all kinds of things like temperature discomfort. She climbed under the mattress oh my gosh. for warmth. Supposedly warmth. So they had to remove the mattress because, you know, she's an inmate under the mattress. They can't have that. So they removed the mattress. <laughs> they removed the mattress. So she wrapped herself in toilet paper from head to toe. Stop. Stop it. Like a little, like one of those bridesmaid games or, you know, at a bridal shower where they make oh the, the wedding dress out of toilet gosh. paper. Yes. Yes. She's just a little, a little toilet paper zombie because she's so cold. I love this so much. During the lawsuit against them, she was claiming that she had to do all of this as an extreme way to stay warm. And she claimed that she had to soil herself and take her bra off to keep her feet warm. <laughs> oh my god. I'm sorry. I I'm sorry. Do you A, I don't think she really soiled herself. But B, if I'm she not, did, I mean, maybe she did. If she did, I think that it was done purposely just to be like, I, I just want to see what it's like. Let me just do this <laughs> just once because I can use it for my agenda for my lawsuit later. Oh my god! Because but, I'm yeah. sorry, Michelle, but there's a toilet right there. You didn't yeah, have to you soil have yourself. A toilet. You also are wearing all the toilet paper, so it'll <laughs> you be don't even okay. Have to wipe. No, it's right there. It's right there. <laughs> You know Take that they off. were sitting back there watching that camera God, just absolutely. like. Take off your headdress and wipe your ass with it, Michelle. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, my God. <sighs> this is just the best thing I've heard all day. I, I know. It's all month. Crazy, isn't Maybe it? Maybe even in my whole life. I don't know. <laughs> this is just incredible. I've never seen something like this happen. I know. It's all because you cannot let your ego down and admit like I suck. And you guys (laughs) keep in mind, she is doing all of this while two teenage girls are Are missing. missing. And there's no care about that at all. Clearly. Tell me that this is wrapping yourself in toilet paper. (laughs) Correct. In refusing to cooperate. And prepare. Like, you, she does not care about those two missing no, girls. not at all. And in the meantime, there is David, who has no idea where his girls are. Given all these antics that he is seeing play out, I would believe that in his mind, it wouldn't be far-fetched for him to believe that she possibly murdered the children just to try to pin it on him. Mm-hmm. Because, we'll hear later in the story, those are Michelle McDonald's two theories 
that she puts forward to Michael Bradcorp is that the father killed them or Judge Knutson hid them. Those are her two theories oh when gosh. she knows all along that her client had something to do with it. Yeah, it's sick and disgusting. It's really sick. Mm-hmm. So after 221 days of the girls being gone on November 23rd, or 25th, 2013, the judge issued orders on custody. And it's also been two and a half years since the divorce. It was 20 pages long, and I'll sum it up. Basically, over the course from May 2011 to November 2013, the judge has been able to see through reports from professionals, testimony entered by David and Sandra, the truth of the matter. It was clear David loved and cared for his children and has acted in their best interests from the start. For Sandra, he stated that she was a loving mother who ended up putting her children in the middle of a divorce and had taken numerous actions since then that were not in the children's best interests. Absolutely Judge Knudsen. So he also included in it her false allegations of sexual abuse that could have led to her being charged. Yeah. Because that is illegal. Highly illegal. And pointed out that there were never any allegations against him until after he contested the divorce and that she made the sexual abuse allegations at the same time that she requested he take full custody of the children. So David was awarded sole physical and sole legal custody at this time. He he did say that she should have parenting time with them, but it needs to be supervised at this time as there's a fear of abduction and her mental health issues were still untreated. But the kids were coming home. Oh, yes. Two yes, and a half George, years later. Yes. I'm so, that, thank, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for something good. There you go. It's good. My hope we'll get is there. restored. We'll get there. So David and his sister Tammy worked diligently looking for the girls. I bet David was just sorry to keep cutting you off. I'm just so I'm I'm so into this now. Right, right. But I bet you he was just like crying mm. tears. Absolutely, he is, was emotional through this whole thing, rightfully uh, so, as any of us would be who care about our children. Uh, right. Yeah. David and his sister Tammy worked diligently looking for the girls, going to schools, showing their photos, wondering if they had been enrolled under fake names, but there was nothing. David had enlisted the help of his cousin, who is a private investigator. And um, the other hurdle to remember that David is facing here is that the Trish Van Pelsen drama had happened on the news. Um, David did not talk to the media again. Okay. I don't blame him. Sandra was, of course, mm-hmm. but David wasn't because he did not trust any media outlet, and I don't blame him. But that also meant the police department had skewed v- views of him mm-hmm. because of how he was being painted in the media. So getting their help to find the girls would mean he would have to build a rapport with them and show that he is not the monster he was being painted to be. So what actually happens is that his cousin that's a private investigator happened to be friends with the new chief of the Lakeville Police um, Department, Jeff Long. So they were able to to connect and Jeff could get the real story. Oh, good. And the fact that he can show the court order that he has his kids home Okay, Mm -hmm. and but it's been coming at this point in time, it's coming up on two years since the girls went missing and tips were coming from all over the place to the police, Florida to Connecticut to even Michigan of, you know, where the girls could have been seen and they were all dead ends. So they're kind of like at this stalemate essentially with the investigation. This is where we're going to enter the Star Tribune into the story. 
Brandon Stahl was a writer for the Tribune and had been doing articles on child protection in Minnesota and stumbled upon the Rucky case and the missing Rucky sisters. So he actually reached out to Lisa Elliott, David's lawyer, first, which, of course, David is like, nope, I'm not doing any story oh. with a journalist ever again. Yeah. But Lisa interviewed Brandon and was like, no, no, he's got the right angle. He understands. He's not buying into. He can see through Sandra's stuff. He's looking at the court records. He's seeing what the court has to say, what the professionals have to say. And he, he's got it. She's like, this could really help us. It could help get the girls' pictures out there and, and get the information that, that they're missing. I can imagine so, him being scared, though. No. Absolutely. And he was guarded at first with Brandon. He wouldn't allow himself to be photographed and he wouldn't allow himself to be audio recorded. He was very cautious. And I get I, it. I do Good too. job, David, because yeah. that I, I would have done the same thing. Once the story came out, now others had agreed to, I mean, Brandon's doing a story. He's a mm-hmm. journalist. So other people had been interviewed as well. When the story came out, they learned some new information. He had interviewed a man named Dale Nathan. Now, remember him? Dale. Dale. Yeah. Shady lo- I told lawyer you Dale. I, had his, I told you I had his last name marked in here mm-hmm. somewhere. He's the disbarred lawyer that had put Sandra in touch with Michelle McDonald. Okay? Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes <laughs> as we like to say. So Brandon had learned during his interview with Dale, Dale says he was with Sandra and the girls the night they went missing. Oh. <gasps> What? Oh, yeah. Dale, so, where have you been? The story not only gets the photo of photos of the girls circulating in the media once again, but it provided Lisa Elliott and David with new information and their private investigator to go on. Okay. So now is where we're going to enter a second author from the Star Tribune into the story. And also the co-author of the book, The Girls Are Gone, Michael Bradcourt. Okay. Michael was all too familiar with Michelle McDonald and her drama because he primarily at this time color, covered politics. And like I said, she'd run for su- Supreme Court and lost in 2014. She was actually arrested for suspect, suspected drunk driving in 2013. And she called him in April of 2015, called Michael Bradcorp, to inform him that she was applying for yet again another vacancy that had con- come open on the Minnesota Supreme Court. So he's like, fine, I'll publish the story, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Michelle's running again. Okay. Woo-hoo. At this point in time, the girls had been gone for 725 days. Okay. And she's contacting him about how she wants to running run for that, Supreme yeah. Court. Yep. So on April 18th, 2015, so only five days later, is when Michael read the story that was published by Brandon Stahl. And Michael has a child of children of his own. He kind of, he remembers like reflecting on how, gosh, how horrible would it be to be David and not know where your children are Mm -hmm. after two years. So it should be noted that since David took custody of the kids, Sandra did not show up for any of her supervised parenting visits and the other, like with the other three, okay, that the court had granted. Uh, He realized when reading the story that the mother's lawyer was Michelle McDonald. So she called him again on April 20th. So this is two days after the story hit. She wanted him to find out information on her running mates that he's like, um, I can't get that information. It's not until there's like the finalist announced that you know who you're running against. Like, what are you, you know, what, what are you asking me to do? 
Michael did try to bring up the story about the missing girls, but all she wanted to do was complain about Judge Knudsen and family court. She would not talk about Samantha and Gianna Rucky. She had no concern for their safety or empathy for her client, their mother, who was had not seen them in two years. She wow. literally did not give a shit, and he could tell that. He started asking questions about Brandon Stahl's story about Nathan Dale being in the car with Sandra when she picked the girls up that night. And Michelle was stuttering and stammering and saying, no, he's in his 70s and disbarred. And she's like, I really have no idea. That couldn't be. And I have no idea where that information could have come from. Well, that information (laughs) Um. came directly from Dale Nathan (laughs) himself. So, okay. So he point blank asked her if the information was correct that Sandra had picked up her girls with Dale Nathan and McDonald uh, McDonald replied with no that is absurd okay I'm surprised she didn't slump over again so at this point in time Michael Bradcorp is like listen I know I'm a I'm a part-time journalist for politics but I I gotta know more because he felt so heavily for David and what he must be going through yeah well the devil just jumped out of my throat I'm sorry everyone it's okay. Like, yes. yes. So Michelle wanted to know basically what his angle would be, asking him where he was going to shed the light over uh, about all, you know, all of this. He talked to her several more times over the next couple of days, listening to her constant grievances about family court being unconstitutional. And he kept trying to bring her back to the point of, of the missing girls. And she finally told him, you're missing the point. They are gone. And to quote him from the book, the girls are gone. He said, quote, it was chilling, end quote. I bet. Literally, she stopped him in the middle of the interview and was like, you're missing the point. The girl, they're gone. Mm-hmm. So then he decides, all right, if you had to speculate what happened to the girls, what's your speculation? And that's when she comes out with her theories. That's when she tells Michael her theories. I told you before that they were murdered by their father or that they were hidden away by Judge Knutson. Yeah. So just keep in mind, this is a woman who's run for Minnesota Supreme Court several times. That's terrifying. On April 24th, 2015, Sandra talked to Michelle herself, to Michael, excuse me, himself. She described how she talked, like, Michael's like, she talked nonstop. She clearly had talking points. It was, there was no emotion about her missing girls. Like, he, he could see through her stuff. Um, they never had another conversation. He only talked to Sandra just that once, even though Michelle's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll put you into touch with her again. But the girls had been gone for 735 days at this point. On the 736th day, this is April 24th, 2015, something big happened. A man literally pulled up in front of Michael's house when he was in his yard, rolled down his window, and asked if he was Michael Bradcorp. He's like, yeah said, I have an audio of CD, uh, I have an audio on CD of the Rucky Girls, and I need you to listen to them. The man was Dale Nathan. Oh, wow. So basically what happens is he's like, listen, Dale Nathan's angle here is that he's infatuated with Sandra Rucky. Okay, Sandra Grazzini Rucky. Oh. Yep. And he has upset Sandra by letting everybody know that he was in the car with her the night the girls went missing. When he talked to Brandon Stahl and Brandon Stahl published that um, report, he was disgusted with the fact that Brandon had painted Sandra as the abuser and David as the victim. He literally, Michael in the book describes how the voices that Dale Nathan was using um, mimicking David 
having no empathy for the fact that this man has no idea for over 700 and some days where his daughters are. And he, he said it sounded straight evil. Oh, wow. Like this man is infatuated with Sandra, believes all of her stuff. And the reason that he told Brandon Stahl that he was with Sandra that night was trying to prove to him, I like, I was with her. I know those girls didn't want to be with their father and that she was trying to save them. He was trying to speak positively about Sandra. I see. But Brandon Stahl knew better, knew the actual story, had the facts right, and published published the right story about how she has been hiding her daughters away and there is a father that has had his daughters missing for 700 and some days and no one's looking for these girls. So, like, we need to be looking for them. So Dale is in a predicament. Because he is in a predicker. A predicker. <laughs> he is in a per- real dick, predicker. A real predicker. Okay. He is because he wants Michael Bradcorp to print a story that will shed the right light, as Michelle McDonald puts it. Okay. That's why he's reaching out to her. So he has terrible intentions. Yes. But Michael Bradcorp sees an opportunity because he's saying he's got audio CDs. He's saying he's got letters. It's the same letters that he does have letters, mm-hmm. but it's the same letters that were sent to Tammy Love. Okay. Three yeah, day, yeah. Two days after the girls went missing. But he's like, he's got CDs. So basically what Michael Bradcorp does, and this is where professional integrity comes into play. He is not going to print a story that paints David in the, he, he's got the right grasp on this story. Okay. But he needs the trust of Dale Nathan to keep talking to get evidence. So he's put in in quite a situation in the way that he handles it. I don't even think that half of the world would be smart enough to do this, okay? Because he starts printing stories that are leaving breadcrumbs for the police to follow. But he's printing them in a way that aren't that's not going to upset Dale Nathan oh, and put Dale okay. Nathan down. He's doing what looks like very general coverage of the missing girls from Minnesota, okay, where he's quoting Dale, but in Dale's quotes, he's giving There's clues. Some, okay. All right. Okay. I like it's it. Really, and again, read the book. You'll understand more because the, the stories are actually in there. And so he he is purposely making sure when Dale reads it that Dale doesn't understand what he's doing. He's not coming out and and saying, but what he's doing is he's highlighting that these girls are missing. Mm -hmm. He's not saying Sandra did it. Okay. He's given direct quotes. And what happens is an investigation is getting opened up because of these stories that are being printed. But he, uh, what he also does is he starts printing because he's doing these coverage of these missing girls, right? He also starts printing information that starts leading the police. Like, for example, he looks into an arrest. So boyfriend Michael, remember him from yeah. episode one? He at one point got arrested because he brought a firearm into a school when he was trying to like serve a subpoena or something like that. So it tells the police, hey, don't forget to look into this dude. So David did eventually, or like he did do an interview with David as well. Um, the girls had been gone for 737 days when he first wrote his first like piece in the star tribune tribune mm-hmm. where he he covered his interview with david all of that stuff april 29th brandon stall wrote an article 
that the Lakeview Police Department had named four persons of interest in the disappearance of Samantha Ingrid and Gianna Rucky. Those people were Sandra Grazzini Rucky, Michelle McDonald, Dale Nathan, and Michael Rendon. Oh, wow. What is interesting is that in that story, the police remarked that they could not get a hold of Sandra and that her lawyer, Michelle McDonald, was not returning contact attempts made by the police. So <laughs> I'm so shocked. Just so you know, this um, public figure, okay, mm-hmm. that wants to be on the Supreme Court would not cooperate with the police investigation involving to the disappearance find. of two minors. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Even Dale, like, holding on to that for so long. And mm-hmm. and then his intention wasn't even to help. No. He, he wanted to help Sandra. And out. the thing is, is that after these articles start going up covering the missing girls and bringing this story to the media, just like Sandra and Michelle don't want it to, to happen, one of Sandra's supporters, um, her name was Carpenter. Uh, you Again, get the full story in the book. I don't want to steal all of their meat and potatoes, but she started this blog called the red herring and she, um, it tells Sandra's, you know, woe is me story and whatnot. Well, Sandra actually replied like on that blog post, somebody was like, Hey, you know, have those girls been found yet? At some point in time, someone posted that and Sandra Grazzini Rucky replied back, read the blog. You'll hope that they never are. That's what she said about her own daughters. Oh, my gosh. That was used against her in her trial later, by the way. Um, And by the way, Michael Bradcorp attempted to contact Sandra on Facebook about that, and she never responded. I love him. Like, he is so good. Yeah. He is the reason why the girls end up being found. That's awesome. Is because he left the breadcrumbs in his stories. And one of the major ones is when he's talking to Dale Nathan. He's trying to get Dale to show him. What's on his computer? The audio, the CDs, everything. Dale's like, nope, I'm not going to tell law enforcement. I'm not going to show you. They're going to stay right here on my computer. So instead of calling law enforcement and being like, hey, Dale Nathan has stuff on his computer. Mm-hmm. Because he, that would have shut down the line of communication. Yeah, he puts it on. The, he publishes I the love story yes. about the missing girls and quoted Dale. It's all on my computer. Yeah. That's beautiful. And the police read it and are like, hey, search warrant. Mm-hmm. Let's go get that computer. And that's exactly what they yes, do. Yes, Michael. Yes. And is that how they, is that how the, I mean. Yes. The stuff that was on Dale Nathan's computer, not to mention all the other stuff that they gathered during the investigation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because they end up searching Dee Dee Evavold's house, Michael, um, the boyfriend Michael's house. They searched Dale Nathan's house. All of those searches provided, especially on their computers, yeah. links to the girls. Who thought this was okay for these poor girls? How could you sleep at night knowing I, that they were missing, isolated from their families? Yeah. Uh, oh, my gosh. Tell me they're in prison. So Tell me they're in prison. We're getting to it. We're getting to it. On day 848 of the girls being gone, a warrant was finally issued for the arrest of Sandra on three felony counts of deprivation of parental rights. Can we get a hallelujah? Well, now they can't find her. Oh, all right. That's Of that. course. Have a good evening. Right, I am no. done. Michelle McDonald, of course, claimed that she was working as a flight attendant. But then when they find out where she's working, they find out that as soon as the warrant was issued, she took a leave of absence. <laughs> I'm shocked. Yes, yes. So, so now the U.S. Marshals are involved in finding her. Okay. Where she ends up being with her other boyfriend, because she got herself a new man's. 
this woman, I tell you. In Kissimmee, Florida. Oh. She was at a resort that she was living at with her boyfriend in Kissimmee, Florida. Oh, my gosh. Uh-huh. Yep. Her, go- her girls are gone. She's not seeing her other children. But she cares so much about them, right? That she's just treating herself to a little that she's uh, arrested. retreat. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, as soon as she's arrested, her new boyfriend just gets to social media about, oh, my gosh, she of was course. ripped from her life. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Where does she find these people? Like, it just oh, it amazes me. They just eat it up. I know. After 944 days gone, on November 18th, 2015, Lakeview Police went to Herman, Minnesota, on evidence collected during the investigation and search warrants, to a yellow farm-style home on a dirt road, and served the owners, Doug and Gina Dalen, a search warrant for their home. When they approached them, Doug stated, the girls are inside. Oh my gosh. At last, after 944 days, they were found. They were scared and confused. What had happened is that they had been dropped off at that home by their mother. Their mom walked around the house like to see their, you know, their rooms and all that stuff. Had let Gina Dalen know that a reporter was going to come and talk to them. And actually it was Gina who drove them to the hotel where they were interviewed by Trish Van Pelsum, who by the way is no longer practicing journalism. Oh, thank God. And she um Never came back. She left the girls there. So she... And never came back. Had no contact with them that entire time. No. Oh my gosh, this is too much for me. Where they were left, the Dalens ran this ranch. It's, It's a safety place for children and families that are in crisis to work, to learn about God and to work with animals. Oh, so they bought Sandra's story, and yeah. they were like, "We'll protect they them." Thought they thought so, were even though they them. saw all of this, yep. I'm sure on the news. Of course, and- they did. Once Michael, once Michael started publishing his stuff in 2020, picked up the story. I mean, they were everywhere. They knew what they were doing. Wow! And they kept in in David's mind. These are the two that could have ended his suffering at any point in time because yes. they had his children. For two and a half years. And they did nothing. And they did nothing. So in his mind, they're the worst of the worst. They each got 365 days in prison. Not even. What? Yeah. yeah. What? No. One year. They, no. They, mm-hmm. Nope. Nope. Mm-hmm. I do not accept it. Please try again. Yep. But they're in, they're in a situation now. The girls... The girls weren't unhappy there. They so they were cared for. They learned they weren't going to school. Um, they were behind on their schooling. They weren't seeing a doctor. They had to be seen by a medical professional. I mean, that whole time they had no contact with family or friends. Um, so they were isolated. And- yeah, and at this point in time, it's been over four years since they've seen their father. Oh my you guys, gosh, this is insane. Four years, and so they did a transition where remember private investigator. Um, cousin Tom, yeah, Rocky, yeah. Um, he spells it different, but it, it, it's his cousin. Um, he he lives in California, but he actually had the girls come stay with him, and they worked with a specialist. Lisa Elliott had a friend that was a specialist with um, families in crisis and transition, so she worked with the girls as well to help them reunify. 
Oh, wow. Um, that's amazing. And the first time David talked about how the first time that he was reunited with the girls and saw them, he had a physical response and he had to leave the room because those weren't the girls that he no, remembered. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they had changed four so much. years older. They were like 12 and 13 when they, 13 and four, 13 and 14, excuse me, when they went missing. Mm. And now they're practically adults. I mean, you know, Samantha's 18 at this point in time. Their childhood was robbed from him because of many adults, as you can now see, that kept them hidden. So it it was not easy, but they did reunify, and they are a very happy unit. Bless Tom for doing that, too. Like, you know, getting in there and helping with the process, because I'm sure the girls were so damaged by all of this, and... All the stuff their mom had fed them with for all that time before they went missing. Correct. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This is awful. So, uh, speaking of Sandra, of their mom, you know, she was arrested and then she was um, extradited back to Minnesota. Um, She was offered a plea, an Alfred plea, that she didn't take. And Michelle McDonald represented her in her criminal trial. (laughs) Of course. Of course. As I'm sure you understand. I'm sure Um, that uh, that went really well, too. It didn't go as dramatically as the... (laughs) Darn it. As the custody trial, but it, you know, wasn't great. Um, She did, she had another dude that was representing her as well, but Michelle was there as part of her legal team. Um. And just for the sake of time, because we've given Sandra enough enough attention here, she was found guilty. She, after they interviewed Samantha, they did um, add charges to her. What they did was they found Sandra guilty on six counts of her charges, okay, for the, the parental rights. But they found her not guilty for causing a minor to be a runaway. She had two counts of that added to her after interviewing, after the police interviewed the girls. And the reason the jury did that is because the girls had a really hard time talking bad about their mom. They had to testify at her trial. They didn't want to see her be put away. Sure. They didn't want to live with Tammy, but the reason they didn't want to live with Tammy is because they had been manipulated and they know that, but she's still their mom. Yeah. At the end of the day, she is. Right. And if you remember what I said in the first episode about how as a CPS worker, it's a red flag to me if a child just very scriptedly is like, my dad's a horrible person. He's a really big abuser. He hits us all the time. Yeah, yeah. Kids who are truly abused have a really hard time. They're so conflicted mm-hmm. between telling the truth to make it stop and going against their their parent that they love because a majority of them at the end of the day still absolutely love their parent. That's their parent. So this to me makes complete sense that they had a very difficult time even after all of that. Mm-hmm. That is, that's very typical. Mm-hmm. And so I love that the jury was like, we don't want to send the message to these girls that because they ran away, it was their fault and it, re- and it ended up giving their mom more charges. Sure. So they did not find her guilty of um, causing a minor to be a runaway. And I just I love how they've handled these girls this this way because the things that she was responsible for of of the parental rights, you know, absolutely she needed to be found guilty on those. So these are her terms. You know, this whole time she's been claiming that she's penniless and all that stuff. 
before the sentencing hearing, her bail was set at 100K and she paid it. Claimed that she borrowed money from people and people made, do- her supporters made Those donations. Are generous but people. She has money. So what her sentencing was is kind of strange. She had to do, she did get some time served between the time of her being arrested and the time of her being, uh, going to her trial. Okay. They didn't let her post bail. Obviously she was a flight risk at that Mm -hmm. point in time. Her sentence was that, oh, and if you're not familiar with what an Alfred plea is, it's where you can plead guilty without actually pleading guilty to the charges for a lesser sentence, but she didn't do that. The reason they offered her that is to spare the girls from having to testify. Oh, but she she wouldn't do that. And she still wouldn't take it. Well. Mm -hmm. Because she doesn't give a shit. No, she doesn't. The girls were allowed to testify via video in another room, though. So they didn't have to be in the same room testifying against their mother, which, thank you, Mm -hmm. again, for handling the kids so gently, as gently as you can in this horrific situation. What she had to do was that she had to serve 34 days in jail. And she did get some time served, like I said. So that's why she had the 34 days. Bear with me. Her probation, though, was was complex. She would go to jail each year for six years that she's on probation, starting on November 18th of every year, and serve 15 days each year. She had to pay back the Crime Victims Board $10,000, and this amount would also be split with other um, people that were convicted of the crime as well. And she also had to pay $944, for each day the girls were missing. She was ordered no contact with people like David and Tammy Love, and she still needed to comply with the family court orders. (laughs) She still has minors. She laughed while being taken into custody and showed no concern, no remorse whatsoever. By the time of her sentencing, most of her supporters had left the court. Which I they were done with her as well. And she had actually requested to the judge that she just get to serve all ninety days, all of her ninety days in jail. At once, instead of coming for 15 days for the next six years. And he was like, denied. Yeah, the judge was like, nope, you're going to come. You're going to be on probation for six years, and you're going to come and serve that time every... This... Um, which is such a total inconvenience, and I love it. It I really it. is. It's a very carefully thought out and creative sentence. Yes, because there's only so much for these this type of criminal charge, you know, the violation of parental rights. There's only so much harsh punishment. I mean, she obviously wasn't going to get life in prison. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, this right. isn't one of those cases. We're not going to get that. But I love that it's just a total pain in the it, ass. Yeah. Every November 18th, you got a date with come. 15 days in jail. Yeah, I I do. I mean, I'm obviously going to put it out there that I feel like for the, the mess she created, it doesn't and even begin to do, you know, grasp- it's... Grasp not seeing your children or knowing if they're even okay for 944 days. And at one point in time, the police came to David and asked for his DNA because they recovered a body. So at some point in time, David was terrified that his children were were dead. Mm -hmm. He had no idea for 944 days. That is horrible. Uh, Dee Dee Evavold served 118 days in jail and was on probation with no contact orders or social media posts about the Rucky family of any sort. Um, she violated these orders as well uh, and has appeared in court many times. You'll be no, not surprised to know that Sandra violated her orders right away and was back <laughs> what? in court. There was another issue or warrant issued for her arrest literally by November 2nd, 2016. This was like uh, her her sentencing was September 21st, 2016. So by 
by November 2nd, she violated the wow. <laughs> Didn't waste any time. Mm-hmm. But Dee Dee Evavold had actually been with them. They stayed, the girls and Sandra had stayed at her house the first night. Oh, she was an accessory gotcha. to this. They didn't show up at the ranch until two days after they had been gone. A lot of people who knew where these girls were mm-hmm. and did not tell anybody. I am going to take this time and be happy to announce that very recently Michelle McDonald lost her license to practice law. She did not win the Supreme Court job in 2020. Oh, thank God. And she is, is there's a lot of legal ramifications uh, thanks to Allison Mann and Michael Bradcorp that she is facing for her part in all of this. I am happy to hear that because she is just as guilty. And and very, she also tried to sue them for this book. Oh my gosh, of course she did. And it was not accepted in court and it was dropped. (laughs) Yes, yes. So this is what happened. And this is from the book when they all sat down very tenderly with the kids and interviewed them when they were ready to tell their story. Okay. On April 19th, Sammy called her mom telling her that she was going to run because she could not take it anymore. She didn't want to live with Tammy. She was so sick of the system Mm -hmm. making changes in their life and having control over their life. She put her socks on. She told Gianna to stay, but Gianna was not staying without Sammy. So they ran out the front door and they were looking for their mom. Their mom had given them a burner phone. Their mom was not supposed to have contact with them at this time. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. They were removed from her. So they had been secretly talking that whole time. She picked them up for a while, and they just drove around trying to figure out what to do, making phone calls. Dale Nathan was in the car. She stopped to get gas and beef jerky at one point. They ended up at Dee Dee Evavold's home, and they were up early the next morning and asked to write the letters and make the audio recording for the judge. They were told that it was so the judge could see why they wanted to live with their mom. That's not what it was used for. Sandra told them that her friend Gina, who had a horse ranch, when in truth, she did not know Gina. Okay, just some of her supporters knew of Gina. Oh, wow. So she didn't even know who she was putting her her daughters with. Yep. She took them to the ranch and, like I said, walked them around, left, and never came back. Um, Gina took the kids to the hotel to be interviewed. That's when they met Trishman Pelsum. They watched the story. They wanted to take it all back. Nothing that they said about their father was true, and that's what they told Allison and Michael during the interview, that they felt a lot of remorse. They wish they could take it all back and they can't. So one thing that I wanted to point out was that Sammy really blames the court system for what had happened to her family because she pointed out, and I do agree with her, why did the court feel it necessary to settle the divorce proceedings of the financial aspect, the money aspect, the assets, the house, all of that stuff? They spent an entire year focusing and fighting over that stuff before they got to the custody part. And so in her mind, according to her uh, interview with Allison and Michael, she felt like the court really set her parents up to have to fight over the kids, to make it an all or nothing sort of thing. And I can so see that perspective. Now that you mention it, yeah. I, I absolutely, she has a really good point. Right. Like right from the get-go that this divorce was not all that it seemed to be on paper. Why did we not immediately figure out the, the custody, you know, setting up a shared custody? I realized that by the time they had a court hearing, two months had passed and there had been two months of parental alienation and some brainwashing, right? But that was only two months. 
compared to what ends up happening is four years. Yeah. So I'd rather undo two months worth of damage than four years worth. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of her major criticisms of the system. And it's absolutely true. The custody needs to come first. And right from the get-go, that GAL had recommended that the kids have, it is in the kids' best interest to have a relationship with their father. And that first, you know, order or that first report came out just a couple of months after the divorce. So why wasn't that the first focus? And it should have been. And I agree with her completely. And I see why for the remainder of, of the case before they even went missing, she was so defiant towards the system and uh-huh. so upset at it because she felt like they the it was the court system that forced her parents to fight over them. I I agree. Yeah. Now that now that you mentioned that, I mean, I can totally see mm-hmm. her perspective on the situation. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, we know the system's not perfect and this this needs to change most definitely. In Nico's interview, he talks about the days after the divorce and how his mom was drunk more than sober. She smoked cigarettes constantly. They were not allowed to go outside, and she cared more for her boyfriend than them. He used to hide in a closet under a pile of clothes to not go to school and just watch videos, and she never even noticed that he was there or that he wasn't getting up and going to school. But he couldn't do that for too long because if he didn't go to school, he knew, A, it would trigger a truancy letter, but B, if he didn't go to school, he didn't eat. Oh, my gosh. They were not being fed. Um, He was only 14 at this point in time. There were constant parties at the house. It was disrupting their sleep. She was always having friends over. She's always slamming into his room, beer in one hand, cigarette in the other, yelling at him. By the end of his sophomore year, he'd had enough, and um, he was seeing through his mom's tales of woe, and he grabbed a blanket, went out his, um, he realized actually he was becoming suicidal. Oh my gosh. So he took a blanket, went out his bedroom window and walked to his best friend's house where he would stay there for the next three months. And he was determined to get his life back on track. He wanted to do well in school. September 6th, the day before the kids were removed from Sandra, um, he told Michael that his mom had told him to come home from school that day. They packed up the house and then she informed him, do not come home tomorrow when Tammy Love was going to be taking custody of them. She told all of the kids that. I mean, I think we can kind of all piece together now how all of that that went. The kids now, um, Nico does not accept her as a mom. Um, Sammy struggles more. She was very close with her mom. Mm-hmm. Um, Gianna believes, Gianna and Nia believe that, you know, she needs to be, in jet, like people that did this, this wasn't right. Yeah. Um, and the youngest, Gino, I mean, he was pretty young through all of this, so it's all every all the kids have like different experiences mm-hmm. with it all. Yeah, I could but I can see that. The victim impact statement that David did in the trial for Sandra's criminal trial was I I just loved it. He said, "This is what he said." End quote. We will discuss the punishment that their mother received, and it'll be brief. Our children haven't had a real mother in years. Their mother has been gone so long that her being in jail or on probation won't even really impact their lives. I've been able to feel the warm embrace of each of my kids tonight, and that will be something she hasn't felt in a long time. Regardless of the sentence today, Sandy is facing the lifetime sentence of the loss of the most precious thing in life, the life with her children. 
Mike so dropped right. David. Yeah. It was a very long victim impact statement, but that was the one that I was like, yes, mm-hmm. you are so right. And again, she had no remorse. Nico was in the courtroom during her trial. She hadn't seen Nico in years. And the only thing she said was, why is my son here? Didn't even say hi to him. Oh my Didn't gosh, even that's like horrible. acknowledge him aside from that. That is horrible. I really liked his victim impact statement on the two people who owned that ranch that hid his daughters for 941 days. Okay, because I'm sorry, it was the third day. They went there the third day to the ranch because they were all about the Bible, right? They were saving these children because she she told a story to a news outlet when the girls were the girls were missing at this point in time. The news outlet had no idea that they had the girls. Okay. Mm-hmm. But they were doing a story on her ranch, their safe haven. And she talked in that story, which was used as evidence against them during their trials, about how God sent her signs that she needed to open this ranch to save children and families. Okay. So what does David Rucky do? David Rucky uses the Bible in his victim impact statement to show all the ways that they were sinners. Oh my gosh. That wow. they were liars, that they were not doing God's work. And it was amazing. Amazing, you guys. Read the book to get it. It is phenomenal. Good so, for him. Yes. I'm glad he got the chance to do that, that he got the chance to say those things. Yep, me too. That he needed to say. So in 2018, Gianna graduated. She was behind because of her time at the ranch, but it was celebrated. And the family is intact and thriving today. Although there will be wounds that can never be healed and many adults to place blame on, the Rucky family has moved on and has been strong enough to tell their story. Awesome. I'm so glad there was a positive outcome. Isn't that an amazing story where you're like, holy cow, I've just really happened. It it is hard to wrap my brain around that this actually happened. And, you know, I would be really curious to know more about her before this happened, because it's it's so hard for me to believe that there weren't some things going on, you know, like mental health yeah, issues? Yeah, or just yeah. Who, who she was before mm. because it's like, mm-hmm. how in the heck did well, all of this just like poof? She, she okay. Came, she was the, I mean, psychologically, you and I can sit here and say she was the youngest of seven to a very wealthy and privileged family. So right there, that sets up some, t- some tones, mm-hmm. right? Possibility. You throw in a mood disorder, a personality disorder. I mean... It wasn't, I I don't know. I couldn't find anything that there were signs and red flags before, Mm -hmm. but she's spending, spending habits like crazy. Like I said, there's a whole financial thing in the book that I didn't even get to. Mm -hmm. I mean, as it is, we're on almost four hours of coverage for this story that was just about the family court case. So, but there's so much more. Just me thinking out loud, kind of curious, but man, what a story. All right, are you ready for a brain bath? I am so ready after all of that. And I'm sorry, but after last episode on Sunday, and I brought you funny poop jokes. (laughs) Yes. I did actually stumble upon this. And it's not that I'm purposely finding stuff that has anything to do with poops or toilets. It finds you. The poop finds you. It does. And I thought, what better way to tie these two episodes together than to end on a brain bath that's similar? Why not? So... This title, it captured my attention anyway, everyone, because it's titled Sculpture of Humpty Dumpty on a Toilet 
stolen in Wisconsin. I would literally not be able to to ignore that. I would have to look. I love how the article was written. Also, this was very recent. It was September 29th, 2021. Okay, so oh, I'm bringing so you breaking fresh. news. Yes, <laughs> truly breaking news. If I was scrolling, I would have to scroll back up for that. Like, right. wait, Humpty wait, Dumpty? Hum- on, on a, a toilet? toilet? And someone I'm stole it? <laughs> so, Wisconsin and police are attempting to locate a $1,400 bronze sculpture of nursery rhyme character Humpty Dumpty sitting on a toilet. <laughs> and he's bronzed. Oh, my god! Of course he is. Why wouldn't he be? Who put $1,400 into a sculpture? I just, who bought it? What's happening in the world? I think that's a bigger question because when I'm like, oh, somebody found it essential to make a bronze sculpture, I'm like, yes. But not obviously. But then buy it. And then also someone wanted to steal it. But then I question, yeah, like who's... There's a lot (laughs) happening here. I have so many questions. So the Madison Police Department said the sculpture named... Are you ready for it, everyone? Listen. I'm so ready. Named Dumpty Humpty. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the whole reason I picked this brain bath. And the whole reason someone made that sculpture. Just so they could name it Dumpty Humpty. You know that had to have been the vision. They're like, oh, it could be Dumpty because he's on the toilet. Get it? And his name is Humpty. I love it. And he is. His face. We're going to have to post this picture. Please. His face is squished up like he's constipated. I think he's a hard-boiled egg. Oh, my god. And he's having a hard time. Pushing that out. Check this out. I was going to say, I, show me. Oh, my God. That's $1,400. Yes. For a he's, scrunched up constipated. He's very shiny. He, it, he is. He's actually beautiful. It takes some work. It all is, right. I get why they stole it. Now I want it to. It is a work of art, everyone. Can you imagine walking up to someone's house and seeing that, like, well, in front of their... It turns out on their sidewalk. Yeah. You know those sidewalk pieces? Yes. That people put, oh. Some have the, lions. Some have hum- Dumpty Humpty. What are the dimensions on Dumpty? I don't know that it says he... I mean, it's enough to be able to steal it because he okay. was actually stolen from an art fair um, on the square's vendor booth. Highly coveted item. Yes, yes. The vendor said that she had seen two men lingering around her booth while she was setting up on Saturday, and the sculpture vanished along with the men when she left the stand for a short time. Probably because she had to go take a Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> Could have been. And this poor woman gets her statue stolen. Police said that they found security camera footage of the two men described by the vendor leaving the area with the sculpture. Not not cool, guys. Not I get cool. it. Don't. I mean... <laughs> Right. If I saw him I shining s- in the sun, I would probably want him <laughs> to. <laughs> I see the temptation. But thieving is wrong. And I understand if you don't have $1,400 to drop on a right. bronze sculpture. Taking a dome. He couldn't have been too big if they could have carried yeah. him out. And he's bronze. That shit's heavy. That's what I was I was thinking. He might have been a smaller type uh, of a, a smaller Dumpty. Yes. But that is an amazing sculpture, and I'm so grateful someone thought of that. Yes. Like, had the vision. Yeah, let me get one more. Oh. You, need, you need another. He Let's is see. so bronze. Isn't and he? He does look like he's trying yet satisfied that he is uh, executing trying his waste. Trying yet satisfied. So. Yes. 
Yep, there it is. And his pants are pulled down. Oh, my gosh. We got to show it. We have to put this the picture, picture up. I'm saving it to my drive right now, everyone. Save image as. Let's see. Obviously, it's going to be Dumpty Humpty. Because <laughs> that will tell me how I should find gosh. this photo. You know, send it to me, too. Don't ask questions, okay. but just send it to me. I absolutely will. <laughs> And I'm going to go ahead and shout out my source here of UPI.com, Odd News, by Ben Hooper. Love it. Congratulations, Ben. It's the best article. The the story of the century. Yes, absolutely. Right here. All right. Well, we hope that you keep listening. We hope you keep it curious. And also, if you're totally into poop stories, uh, stick with us. (laughs) For sure, because Amber brought a bonus episode to our Patreons uh, just recently that was disturbingly full of feces but also a shocking case and i just still want to commend you for i'd never saw that coming it's it's a hard it's a a tough case but just disturbing also i don't think it's very well known so i'm dang good girl so join uh crimecuriouspatreon.com for bonus episodes and early release of content and much more and we keep adding more as we're growing so it's good things but until then everyone Bye-bye. Bye.